Hi, welcome to Grace Presbyterian Church. I'm Pastor Ryan. In today's message, we will look at the Apostle Paul's warning to the church in Rome to protect themselves from those who teach false doctrine that leads to division. And we'll look at two challenges for how we can protect ourselves today. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning. We have been in a series looking at what God's Word has to say about warnings to the church. Warnings that we need to heed, cautions that we need to take to heart. As I was thinking through this, I recognized that there is a similar warning that sometimes we don't pay much attention to, which is found in the food that we eat. Sometimes we don't quite know what it is that we're eating. I went into my shelf and got out one of the little snacks that we send um, with my son to school, and I attempted to read the ingredients on it, but they're so tiny, I had to get out my glasses even to check this. Uh, you, you think it's just wonderful tasting little goldfish, right? But uh, listen to some of these ingredients. We've got mononitrate thiamine, reduced iron, canola, sunflower and or soybean oil, uh, flour and leavening, autoized yeast, ammonium bicarbonate, monocalcium phosphate, there's, a, there's quite a few things in here that I didn't know we were necessarily eating. I'm not sure we need to make a steady diet of some of these things. And this isn't a sermon about healthy diet, but you know maybe some of us could take that to heart too. I want to encourage the church, go check your ingredients when you get home. But it does really beg the question, boy, I wonder what it is that we're eating. You've heard the saying, you are what you eat, and that's true. That which you put into your body is that which ends up being nutrients for you. And sometimes we're not even sure what's going into it. How scary could that be? Not only for our physical body, but what about our spiritual bodies? I fear that in the same way that it's so simple today to just take whatever is handed to us because it looks glittery or shiny or tastes sweet or salty, we may not know spiritually those things that we find attractive what is actually in them, where they actually come from, the theology that they stand upon. And we have to ask ourselves, Wait, what are we ingesting spiritually? And if we fail to keep true to sound doctrine, this is the warning. If the church fails to stay true to sound doctrine, it will die. It will die. There are a lot of voices in the world there are a lot of those that come ascribing to be servants of God, but the Bible teaches us that that is exactly how the workers of iniquity will come. That is exactly how Satan's workmen will come and work their way into the church to deceive the minds of those who God has called. If we leave sound doctrine, we will cease to be the church we will begin to stop caring about the things of God and simply be caring about ourselves. The reason why this is a message that needs to be heard isn't because that there isn't necessarily a great problem in the church today, which there is, by the way. But it's because God's Word is filled with page after page after page of warnings. Jesus will say there were false prophets back then, so guess what there's going to be today? There will be false teachers that come today. And we might not catch it. In fact, I fear to say that the church as a whole misses this. 
How could we have missed it? Well, what goes into some of the teaching that we hear? And it's simple enough to find somebody that looks holy enough and sounds eloquent, but what are the ingredients that are going into that message? What is the theology that is, it is built upon? Is it the sound doctrine of God's Word? Or is it the shape of the culture today and the movement of what people prefer today? And the warning has got to be heard by the church on page after page after page of the New Testament. Watch out. Beware. Our uh, lectionary reading for today came from Matthew chapter 16. Jesus is with the disciples and he's just done miracles where they've seen bread and he turns to them and he says, Beware the yeast of the Pharisees. And they look at each other and they say, Is he talking about bread? I feel like we can give ourselves a little bit of a break because those guys missed it too. It's very easy to miss it. It's very easy for us to miss it as well. And that's why Jesus gives the warning. Beware the yeast of the Pharisees. He's not talking about them being muffins or baking bread. And we heard at the very end of the passage that simply understood it was that you need to beware the teaching of the Pharisees. And the reason why Jesus uses the illustration of yeast is because yeast is something that works its way through how much of the bread? Some of it or all of it? Works its way through all of it. And it is the same way with false teaching. You might not catch it. You might not know the ingredients that's going into the things that you're reading, listening to, uncovering. Some of the authors on bookshelves and some of the personalities on the radio, some of the preachers that we have in churches up and down America. What are the ingredients that go into that? Because false teaching is very devious. It will work its way just like yeast through every aspect of your life. There's a word that's more commonly referred to for this in our day and age. It's called your world view. And that's exactly what will inform your worldview. It's a simple word. It simply means how you view the world. Your worldview is how you make sense of what happens, of who God is and who you are. But the thing that informs your worldview is your theology. The greatest question you will ever have to answer is what do you think of when you think about God? We've got to be careful. The church needs to hear a caution on this. The goal for today is how do we identify false teachings and how do we stick to sound doctrine? How do we identify false teachings and how do we stick to sound doctrine? Our primary text will be in Romans chapter 16 and I invite you to turn there with me. And as you're turning, our plan for this morning is going to be to walk through the the text. If you have a Bible in the back of your pew, I invite you to open that up and turn to the very end of Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 16 where we will, at the end, conclude with just two points of application. Uh, A lot of detail as we observe what he's talking about, but I want you to listen for two points that we can carry with us. And finally, I'm actually going to have one little footnote at the very end, so don't let me forget that. In chapter 16, Paul is writing his greetings to the church as a whole and those that he knows in Rome. In verse 17, he almost takes a little pause... After he says in verse 16 to greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, there's no way you can do that unless you have peace with your brother, with your sister, right? If you've got some sort of division going on, which is the most dangerous thing in a church, is division, what are they going to do? Uh, What are you going to do when they come to kiss you? 
Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Get away. Mm-mm. Right? There's got to be. There's got to be peace. And so he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. And all of the churches of Christ send their greetings. It's very likely in Paul's mind that as he's saying that, he begins to think of all of the churches out there. And his concern is for this church in Rome. I wonder if they may be going through what some of these others have gone through in false teachers. For people that have led them astray. Which brings us to verse 17. Listen to Paul's words. He says to the church, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites by smooth talk. And flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, and so I am full of joy over you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. Great little passage. It's tucked right in there at the end. Right at the end of the letter, as Paul's concluding all of his thoughts to this incredible treatise of salvation that he gives to the Romans. One of his last thoughts, even in this send greeting section, is a warning. Church, we've got to wake up. We've got to pay attention. Paul doesn't want to end his letter without warning them about this. That there are people who will come that will try to deceive the church and cause divisions. One of the most dangerous things that we can have in the church today. Uh, what I saw as I looked at this was first the caution that he gives Uh, The word simply is watch out. And it's the same idea as what Jesus says in Matthew 16, as we already read. Beware, he says. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees. That's the same idea for what Paul says here. Literally, the word means keep an eye out for. I'm I'm, I'm watching you closely. Do you ever have one of these teachers in grade school that did this? (laughs) I'm watching you, man, right? Yeah, that, that's the idea here. That, that's, that's the verbal emphasis of this word. You've got to open your eyes. You've got to be watching closely for it. Uh, You've got to be checking the ingredients, right? Before I, before I pick something off the shelf and put it in the pan, put it in my mouth, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read. I'm going to watch. I'm going to look. That's the, that's the caution. And the next thing I see is the conflict. This comes at the end of verse 17. The conflict is that they are te- their teachings are contrary. Do you see that word? In verse 17, they are contrary to the teachings you have learned. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 4, he says, You're going to find that there will be times when people have no stomach for solid teaching. But they'll fill up on spiritual junk food. Catchy opinions that tickle their fancy. They'll turn their backs on truth. And they'll chase mirages. Second Timothy. I memorized that verse to say that there will come a time when people will not put up with sound doctrine. But rather they will amass for themselves teachers who will say what their itching ears want to hear. It's doctrine that's contrary to what Paul is teaching. That's a conflict. That's a problem. And we don't even see it sometimes. It comes to us because it tastes so good. It sounds so good. 
I'm telling you, when I go to the gas station and I go in to pay, that little section that has the donuts, you know, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? It tastes so good. And I hear them calling up to me, we're over here, 99 cents. My stomach gets a little, oh, we, are, we are hungry, right? Yeah. Go and look at what's in those things. Now, one or two, you know, is fine, but, I mean, we can't build our diet off of this. And we get fooled. How many people like butter? Oh, I'm telling you, butter's fantastic. Why do the things that taste the best are the worst for us? I'm getting a little off topic here, but, yeah, um, Christmas candy. Give me an amen for Christmas candy. Anybody making? All right, chocolate-covered bacon. That's my thing I'm going to hand out to you. Chocolate-covered bacon is about the best thing that you can get. That's the worst thing you could eat, right? But it tastes so good. That's the problem. There's a conflict with this. There will come a day, Paul says, there will come a day when people won't put up with sound doctrine. They're not going to want to listen to the vegetables and the the fiber and the nutrients, the meat. You know what they're going to want? They're going to want the refined sugar. They're going to want the butter. They're going to want chocolate-covered bacon. That's what they're going to want. And pretty soon, once you start feeding yourself on a diet of that, that becomes the only thing you want. Can I hear any amens from the parents of little kids, right? <laughs> they go to grandma and grandpa and they get all the sweet treats and you get them back and try to get them to eat their vegetables. And no, because you have now trained your palate. You've built your diet upon something that's not healthy. There will come a day when people won't put up with sound doctrine. Folks, I believe we're there. That's not in the future. That's today. There's a major conflict here. The teachings that come from so many that are so prevalent are contrary to the teachings of God's Word. There's a great song uh, on the radio came out maybe, maybe ten years ago. Um, I won't try to sing much of it, but maybe you'll recognize a little bit. It's on the popular contemporary Christian uh, radio stations. Uh, the chorus is this. Um, uh, I want something that's more like falling in love. Than something to believe in. It's a very catchy song. It's a great Christian song, except it's wrong. The Christian life is not to be something that feels more like falling in love than something to believe in. It's absolutely something to believe in. It's very catchy, and I kind of get what he means, but if we ever pursue God as simply somebody just to fall in love with, then we are being trained by our feelings rather than God's word. But pastor, that sounds good. Of course it sounds good. It's part of the problem. If you ever just simply find yourself being fed off of people that you agree with or that sound good to you, I've got to give a warning to the church. That is not the calling of a preacher or a pastor. For God's word is given such that we would be caused to think about where we're at to move to where God is. Not to simply just agree all the time. We need to be challenged. Come on, give me an amen on that. We need to be challenged. The whole rest of the message is challenged, so hopefully you're with me on that. All right, the caution was watched out. The, The conflict was this that was contrary to the teaching. Next, I see the consequence. What's the result of this? Look in verse 17 again. These people who come in that you're supposed to watch out for, what do they do? Look what they do. The consequence of their action is they cause divisions. And they put obstacles in your way. This word here for division is the same word for dissensions. It's this idea of 
arguments, friction. And the word here for obstacles is scandalon. Which English word do you think we get from the Greek word scandalon? Yeah, a, a, a scandal, something that's scandalous. It's an affront. It's an exchange of sound doctrine to be replaced with something that's easier, more easily received. You know what the consequence is of us listening to this? Do you know what the consequence of us filling our spiritual appetite on things that aren't healthy? It's divisions. It's scandals. How healthy do you think the church will be if we start to find that all you find are splinters of divisions and scandals here? It's a terrible consequence. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, verse 3. He says, If anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree with sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he is conceited. It's not my words. This is Paul's words. He is conceited. That means he's full of himself. And he understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy and strife and malicious talk and evil suspicions and constant friction between men who have a corrupt mind who've been robbed of the truth. Oh, that hits me. Robbed of the truth. there, There have been preachers I've listened to that I have since understood now, have faulty, defunct theology. But I didn't know it at the time. I didn't know it at the time. I was being robbed. I was being robbed of the truth. The consequence of us filling ourselves spiritually with that which does not come from sound doctrine is division, obstacles. He says that they are conceited. It will bring constant friction. We could do that in church this morning. If I, if I started to talk about um, politics, you guys want to talk about politics? There is nothing that I can say, nothing that will bring unity. Anything I say will bring division. Is that what we need to be about? Controversies and, and, and tell me your opinion on this and that. Look, all of that is great for this world. Maybe, you know, we can have a good one-on-one later on. But as far as when we come together, we come together to worship and glorify Jesus Christ such that we would understand from God's Word how to live our lives after sound doctrine. I'm not interested in controversies. I'm not interested in all these extra things. Yeah, they're kind of fun to talk about, but they are so small in comparison to the great work that needs to be done in my heart, in your heart. We need to be trained. We need to be reformed. We need to become looking like our Savior, Jesus Christ. So, what are you eating? What are you digesting? What are the things that you're filling your time with? What are the things that you're speaking to one another about? It's a terrible consequence. Divisions. It's the worst thing for the church. All right, and lastly, in verse 17, if you're still with me in Romans, I see the conclusion. Paul simply says this, Keep away from them. Keep away from them. It's the same warning you would give to uh, your child when you see that one that you know could cause harm to them. You need to keep away from somebody like that. Or that dog across the street that wants to come chase you down. You need to keep away. Why? Because there is danger there, church. There's danger. 
Don't take my word for it. Listen to what Paul says. Keep away from them. He'll say this in Titus. When he writes his letter to Titus chapter 3, he says, Do not get involved in foolish discussions and spiritual pedigrees or in quarrels and fights about obedience to Jewish laws. These things are useless and a waste of time. Man, there's a lot. Boy, there's a lot that we could talk about that's a waste of time, church. He says, If people are causing divisions among you, Give them a first and a second warning. After that, have nothing to do with them. Again, I need to challenge you not to listen to my opinion on it. God's word says this. It is so important to Paul that he would say, you need to keep away. You need to distance yourself from them. That's his conclusion with this. So, who are these people? What are they like? Well, let's take a look at verse 18. Uh, Their commitment is the first thing that I notice. Uh, It says that they are not serving Christ, but rather who? They're serving themselves. They're serving their own appetites. This is what Paul writes in 2 Timothy He says, mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. 2 Timothy chapter 3. There will be terrible times in the last days. Now, after he says that, I happen to think he's going to talk about, like Jesus says, wars and rumors of wars, right? I mean, don't you think terrible times? We're talking earthquake and famine. He doesn't talk about any of that. Listen to what he says. Terrible times in the last days. Here's why. Verse 2. People will be lovers of themselves. They'll be lovers of money. They will be boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited. Listen to this next line. He says, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power. Have nothing to do with them. The commitment of these people is not to Christ. The commitment of these people is to their own appetite. Because they are lovers of pleasure. They are lovers not of God, not of the good, but lovers of themselves. That's a warning that certainly needs to be heard by the church, but I almost feel like we got to push that to ourselves too. Put that on your plate and look at it for a moment. Where, where do I fall on that? I, I, I don't suspect to think we're all batting 100% on this this morning, but somewhere each of our hearts is still in process of turning over all that we desire to God. I'll confess, I still really love myself. I want what I want most of the time. That's not the calling. And those who are put in leadership, when they bring a teaching, they bring corruption because there is an error, there is a conflict. It doesn't match with sound doctrine because their commitment is not to Christ. Their commitment is to their own appetites. All right? A couple other things. Their craft. Look at verse 18. So how how are they doing this? With smooth talk. With flattery. Flattery is the kind of thing that I, I don't want to. I don't want to offend anybody, so I don't want to. Don't want to say anything that's going to really 
sound like I'm offending tolerance, you know, and that's just going to build you up. It's going to say something positive. Smooth talk is the way that it drips off your tongue so that it hits you just, ooh, that's good. Proverbs says this, Proverbs 26, 23 through 25, smooth words may hide a wicked heart. Smooth words may hide a wicked heart, just as a pretty glaze covers a clay pot. People may cover their hatred with pleasant words, but they're deceiving you. They pretend to be kind, but don't believe them. Their hearts are full of many evils. These guys' commitment is to their own appetites, but their craft is with smooth talk and with flattery. I'm certain that you've heard people like this. I don't know if you know it, though. I don't know if we recognize it. That's the, that's the danger. When Paul is going to talk about the workers of iniquity coming in in 1 Corinthians, these, these who are children of the devil coming in, he says they don't come in such that you know it. For Satan himself is called an angel of what? An angel of light. He, he looks good. Think about the things that the devil says. For the most part, they are sound good. Remember the temptations given to Jesus? Jesus is in the wilderness, 40 days. He's very hungry. The devil says, oh, you look so hungry. Turn these rocks into bread. That sounds good. The riches of the world, here they are. Boy, that sounds great. Jump off the top and, and God will save you. That sounds true as well, but every single one of those was deceitful. And Paul will write in 1 Corinthians that such are those who are coming. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians. They will, come, they will come as those masquerading as servants of righteousness. You know what a masquerade is? The mask is something that hides what, what's really underneath. And the craft of these people is smooth talk and it's flattery. You know what I call that? Salt and sugar. I bet I could get you to eat anything with just enough salt or sugar. Right? I mean, you, you, I, I have had some... Pretty terrible vegetables that if you just put enough salt, yeah, I can put more salt. I can eat them. And that tea, ooh, that tea has turned. Give me some salt or sugar. Put some sugar in that. Sweeten that thing up. And you will, you'll take anything if it's just flavored right. That's their craft. Their commitment is to their own appetites. Their craft is by smooth talk and flattery. And look with me at their cause. In verse 18, they deceive the minds of naive people. God forbid that we would be naive. I just, no one told me. I'm uninformed. I I didn't put forth the effort to come to Bible study. I really wasn't listening. I'm just naive. Well, guess what? You run the risk of deception because that's their cause. That's their goal. Their commitments to themselves, it's not to Christ. Don't let them fool you with their smooth talk and their flattery because they come to trick you. I believe very much so because they themselves have been tricked. They themselves have been deceived. Matthew says this in Matthew, or uh, he records Jesus in Matthew 24. Jesus says, For false messiahs and false prophets will arise and will perform signs and wonders. I bet you missed it. False Christ's false prophets will arise and they will perform signs and wonders. You're not going to catch it. You're going to look and you're going to be like, man, look at that. Look what they're doing. Look at the size of their church. They must be doing something right. 
They will perform these amazing feats, Jesus says, to deceive, if possible, even the elect, which is not possible. Those who God calls are His. No one can snatch them out of His hand. But don't let that fool you that you are going to be tempted to be deceived. That's their cause. That's their goal. To catch those who are weak-minded. Who can I trick here today? All right, let's, let's wrap this up. We, we've looked at in verse 17, the caution, watch out. We've looked at the conflict with teaching. We've looked at the consequence, divisions and obstacles. And we looked at the conclusion, keep away from them. We've taken a look at these individuals. Their commitment is to themselves. Their craft is by smooth talk and flattery. And their cause is to deceive their minds. Lastly, now in verse 18, Paul gives a commendation. Look at with me what he says. Everyone has heard about your obedience. That's a key word there. If you're, if you're paying attention, circle that, underline that word, right? Everyone has heard about, not your signs, not your miracles, not the wonderful things going on. Everyone has heard about your obedience. And because of that, Paul says, I rejoice. I'm full of joy over you. That's what matters. It's a tough thing, church. It's a tough thing because obedience is not what you want, what I want most of the time. I tell this to my boy, right? Go take the trash out. Oh, man. (laughs) How do I feel as a dad when I hear that? You ever have a kid that did that, right? Clean your room. I mean, no, I don't want that. You know what I want? As a father who loves his child, I want obedience. No problem, Dad. I got it. No problem. Obedience. Yeah. Y'all laughing at me because that ain't never going to happen. <laughs> yeah, the trick's on you, though, because that's what God wants from all of us. He wants obedience. That's the commendation. That's worth rejoicing over when we obey, whether we like what's in front of us or not, whether it's easy or not, maybe especially when it's or not. God wants obedience. And lastly, here's the command. I really hope you hold on to this. This is how he wraps it up. He says, when it comes to evil, I want you to be innocent. But when it comes to good, I want you to be wise. That's the command. That's the end of it. You know what you need to spend your time doing? Stop worrying about politics. Stop arguing over who's going to win the game today. Like All that is fine. You need to learn to be more innocent on those matters. Not, not to be such a, a good arguer that you could just beat other people down with what's facing, because you know what the consequence of that is? Division is the consequence of that. You need to be wise about what's good. You need to fill up your spiritual diet pursuing obedience so that you recognize what is good and so that the evil that's out there is kind of like, yeah, I don't know. I'm innocent about it. I, I just, I frankly don't know. I just don't know. And you know what? I don't want to know. That's the command that's given to all of us. I have two points of application and one footnote as we finish. The first is this. What do we do with this throughout this week? Here you go. Number one. Pay attention to what you're digesting spiritually. Pay attention. Start to look into those individuals that you are learning from. The people on the radio, the pastors that you hear sermons from. Uh, the friends down the road that want to give you their opinion about God, those books on your shelf that teach you, here's how you need to live as a Christian. Hey, read the ingredients. 
I, I want to give you five warnings, five ingredients to stay away from. All right. Now, in, in our world today, you probably should stay away from like uh, saccharin. Right. That's does everybody know what that, that is. I think the FDA kind of took that out of most artificial sweeteners, right? Probably stay away from that. I'm going to give you five spiritual ingredients that you need to watch out for. You ready? Number one is this. People-pleasing. People-pleasing. If you find a pastor or an author or somebody that's just people-pleasing, that's what I'm all about. You know what that is? That's from verse 18. That's flattery is all that is. They don't speak the truth because they don't want to offend that's an ingredient that you need to cut out of your diet. People-pleasing. Number two is this. Easy fixes. Just give me, just give me the quick fix. I, I, don't, I don't really want to work for it. And just, you know, Pastor, wrap it up now. You, you know, Packer game's on. Let's go. Right? Just give me the easy fix. I don't want to sit and get all this meat in Bible study time. Right? Um, do you know what that is from verse 18? Those are the naive people. Those are the naive people. They're undisciplined. They're lazy. They don't want to work for it. Watch out. i got to warn you. Watch out for quick fixes. Uh, I, had a, I had a friend down in the Caribbean where I worked tell me this. Anything that's worth doing is not easy. Anything that's worth doing, it's not easy. So watch out if you find an article or a pamphlet or a book or a preacher that's just, oh, it's a piece of cake. Here it is. Step one, boom, you're done. Watch out for that. You need to cut that ingredient out. Number three is this. I call it feel-goodisms. Feel-goodisms. Now, I'm going, to, I'm going to say sometimes that's not all that bad. Right? That's like a little refined sugar. A little is fine. right? Uh, we need to at times, boy, we need encouragement at times. right? Uh, I'm, I'm all 100% for it, but you cannot make your entire diet off of that. If all you're chasing down in your spiritual ingest, digestion is just, I need to feel good, man. Just give me some encouragement for today. You will begin to fail. You would begin to find that, you know what? You know what that really stems from? That's from verse 18 as well. That's just serving your own what? Your own appetites. That's all that is. Just give me the stuff that tastes good. At dinner time, when the vegetables make it on the plate, you know, and, all, and, the, and the meat's right there, but all you really want is the pie. All I really want is the cookie or the cake, right? It's okay to have some of that, but if you begin to make your whole diet off of what you just, in your appetite desire, you're going to get unhealthy real quick. All right, so let me review. Number one, people-pleasing, stay away from that. Easy fixes, stay away from that. Feel-goodisms, stay away from that. Number four is this, easy listening. Easy listening sermons. That comes from verse 18 with smooth talk. It's just easy to listen to them. I, I call it mm-hmm sermons. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's kind of fun to do. You want to do that with me? Right? If, if you're listening to the preacher and he's really saying something you agree with, you're back there going, mm-hmm, ready to do that with me. One, two, three. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Watch out for that. Watch out finding all of the messages, all the sermons, everything you ever read or hear is just, mm-hmm, that's right. That's the same thing I think. You know what? I fear to say you're not being challenged at that point. Nobody is bringing you anything that causes you to go, huh, you know, I never looked at it that way. i gotta, I got to look at that a little bit more. If all you're ever getting is mm-hmm sermons, you got to watch out for that. Easy listening will simply lead to you always agreeing and never being challenged. And if you're not challenged, you don't what? You don't grow. 
Alright? Stay away from people pleasing, stay away from easy fixes, stay away from feel goodism, stay away from easy listening. And number five, and this is super important today, stay away from substitutions. From verse 18, it comes out of their goal, their causes, to deceive your mind, to deceive you, to trick you, because they themselves have been deceived. Here's what I mean by that. You cannot replace sin with the word mistake. That's a substitution you cannot do. Oops. God's mad at me. I made a whoopsie. That's called sin. And God takes that very seriously. You can't substitute that. You can't change holiness for I just need to be a better person. Holiness is an attribute of God that is completely other than whatever you think is going to define you as a better person. That's not an accurate substitution. You cannot substitute the atonement for just get right with God. Because the atonement is something that's weighty, theologically rich to speak as to what has been done on our behalf. And you cannot substitute sanctification for just be the best you you can be. I am not making these things up. These are exact phrases that pastors today are using in church. This morning, they substitute the truth for something that's just a little bit easier to receive. You've got to read the ingredients, folks. I've got to warn you. Be careful with what you're ingesting spiritually because it can lead to division in our church. So my first point to you, read the ingredients. Read the ingredients about what you're receiving. Pay attention. Stay away from people-pleasing. Stay away from easy fixes. Stay away from feel-goodisms. Stay away from easy listening. Stay away from substitutions. That's my first point. Second point is this. Pursue obedience. Did you catch it at the end? All the churches have heard of your obedience. And so I have great joy over you. Stay away from controversies. Boy, there's a lot we could argue about in the church. There's a lot. Well, this is how I see it, and and this is what I think is right, and well, you don't know my experience, and you know what? A lot, if not all of those things, are secondary issues. And to be real honest with you, I don't know if I got it all figured out. I'd be willing to say I don't know if anybody has it all figured out. So be very careful if you want to elevate one of these secondary issues to the main deal. It's not the main thing. Do you know what the main thing is? Obedience. Obedience is the main thing. A lot of what we need to give reflection to, if my first challenge to you is what goes in, my second challenge is what's coming out. Because if you're pursuing the things that are secondary, many times do you know what those are? Those are things that make you look so smart. Those are things that make you look so right. Well, I go to this church because I'm right and this is the way you should do it. Do the things that you say to one another, the issues that, bring, that you bring up, do they exalt God or do they exalt you? Because when you pursue obedience, you are by default elevating God's word above any other secondary issue above your opinion. So number one, take a look at what you're ingesting spiritually. Read the ingredients. Number two, watch what's coming out of you to make sure that you're pursuing obedience and that you're avoiding controversy. 
It's not simply the case that we're going to have people standing behind the pulpit that will introduce division. We all could do it unless we're seeking to elevate God and not ourselves. All right, so that's, that's what I have for you this morning, but I want to put a little footnote right on the end. Look, two-minute two minute ending on this. Because what Paul was writing at here and throughout the New Testament is a bit of a different situation than the world that we live in. The 16th century held for us a wonderful servant of a monk who went and nailed 95 theses on the Wittenberg door such that he could try to reform the church. Martin Luther did not come seeking to divide the church. He was trying to help it. But those who had power, those who were in charge, they thought, nuh-uh, I see what you're trying to do here. And the only solution was a split. This is why we have Catholicism and Protestantism. And ever since then, we have continued to split. We have continued to have fractions and breaks. And my footnote to you is this, that there is a major difference between the word division and diversity. There is a major difference between the word dissension and differences. Because when we look to our neighbors and the churches down the road, what we ought to hold to are the things that unite us and not the things that divide us. For God is such a vast God. His multifaceted diversity needs to be worshipped in many different forms. Folks, we have a single function. You, you could go to a lot of different churches and find a single function. We're worshiping the King of Kings. But sometimes that takes a little bit of a different form. And woe be it to anybody who says that I'm right or I'm better than you because I go to a different church than you. You know what that is? It's a division. And the devil sits and he smiles. Ah, I got him. Secondary issues. I got him breaking apart. Twice in Luke's gospel, he records Jesus' disciples arguing about who's greater. Grace Presbyterian. That's great. We go to the best church. We go to the right church. That's the same thing the disciples were doing. Who's better than the others? Who's better than those down the road? Here, I'll read it to you. Luke Chapter 22, verse 24, a dispute arose among them as to which was considered to be the greatest. And Jesus said to them, listen to Jesus' words, the kings of Gentiles lorded over them. That's how, that's how sinners operate. That's not how my kids operate. That's not how God's children operate. And those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest. And the one who rules is the one who serves. It is not the one who is at the table. Or is not the one who is at the table. But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials. And I confer unto you a kingdom just as my father has confirmed unto me. Jesus came to this world as a servant. He's the highest. Who's the greatest? Say Jesus. He's the greatest. And what did he do? He served. Woe, woe be to it. Any child of God would go wanting to cause more divisions before the bride of Jesus Christ. 
because I go to such and such a church or we have such and such a pastor. We are brothers. We are sisters. I need to put this as a footnote because we do live in a world that's a bit different than the world that Paul lived in. We have these very true, obvious denominational differences between us. But there is one thing that unites us, and this is what I want to leave you with as we end this morning. The church understood very on that we do need to be careful and stay away from those who have error. And so what they did is they put together their beliefs in a creed. I want to read for you that creed. And you need to make sure that your heart would break bread, that you would affirm, that you would call brother and sister anybody who would affirm these words that I'm about to read to you. Here's what they are. We believe in one God, Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God. He was begotten, not made. He's of the same substance as the Father, and through Him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, He came down from heaven, He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and He was made human. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, He suffered and was buried, and on the third day he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will never end, and we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son he is worshipped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. That's a really important line. The word Catholic here doesn't mean Holy Roman Catholic. It's a Latin word that means universal. Any church that says, you're lost unless you come to my church, runs a terrible risk because they have left this creed. We don't believe that i got to go to this, this one single place. I could go to any of these churches because I believe in one holy universal church, Catholic church. And the word apostolic is in here because you can't have a church that's just built on any sort of doctrine. We have a church that's built upon the cornerstone of Jesus Christ, the foundation of the prophets and the apostles, an apostolic church. The creed ends like this. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins and we look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to the life of the word, life of the world to come. There's only one word to say after that. Amen.